Good morning. Hope everyone is well this morning. I want to um, I want to begin this morning um, with just expressing my gratitude um, to this congregation. Um, I want to I want to thank you. This last weekend, I had the opportunity to go on the uh, retreat weekend called a closer walk, and I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to, to do that and to, for all the people that made that possible. I know that there were some of you that helped financially. I know that there were um, those who sponsored me, and I really appreciate them. I know that there were some of you who cared for my family as, as I was gone for the weekend, um, for the ones that prayed and for the ones that wrote me uh, while I was there. Um, I cannot tell you how much that has meant to me. And I promise you, your love... And your agape for me, um, it will not be forgotten. Um, I can understand now why uh, it's so secretive. You know, uh, people get a little weirded out by that. You know, they'll say, I can't tell you anything about it. But I, I understand now why people don't really talk about it. Because if you have a chance to go on the walk, it's one of those things that you really just kind of have to experience it uh, to really get the full impact of what it's all about. But, um, but honestly, if, if it were me and if I could make it happen, I would love for every single person in this congregation to go on the walk. Every single person. Um, and if that's something that you think that you would want to do, um, I do know, Alan, I think we have, there's two walks coming up in the fall. Am I right? Uh, there's another men's walk and there's another ladies walk coming up. So um, if that's something that you're interested in, then, then that would be a great opportunity for you. But I want to take just a moment and share with you a little bit about why um, last weekend was so significant to me without giving anything away, of course. But um, I've said it before, and, and I'll say it again. The last year of my life was not easy. I had been in a ministry for six years, and I had gotten let go um, due to, I mean, if I'm honest, it basically was just about the Holy Spirit. And, and believing in the Holy Spirit, believing in his work today. And after six years of, of pouring my heart and life into a ministry and into a lot of people that I loved, I, to be honest, I felt betrayed. And uh, I was broken. And I experienced probably for the first time what a lot of preachers call burnout in ministry. And I was done. And if I'm honest, last year after December, I was kind of bitter too a little bit and frustrated. And, um, man, I didn't think I was ever going to step back in the pulpit again. I was so tired of the politics that you can have in church, so tired of the legalism, so tired of the fakeness that you can experience in churches. And so I had struggled with some things that I, I knew that I should have got into, sin. And you know what happens when you make bad choices, right? You do something you shouldn't do, and all of a sudden you start feeling shame and guilt. And then you have the, the added you know, weight of the fact that, well, shoot, I'm a preacher. I should know better than that. And so I'm, I'm dealing with the feelings of being angry at the church elders and being angry at what had happened to our family and having you know, my, my children ripped away from their friends and my wife ripped, ripped away from her friends. 
me struggling with things again in my life and, and all that stuff, all of it just kept piling up, piling up and piling up. And if I'm honest with you guys, being back here, when God opened up the door for me to step back into ministry and to come here and to be back in this role again, man, if I, if I, if I could just be a transparent glass and just let you look through Tim Brown this morning, I have been so scared since I've been here. You know, I've been, I've been so scared of being hurt again. I've been scared of being burnt again. Um, and, and with all this stuff that's been going on, I came to a realization this last weekend when I was at the walk that because of this unresolved stuff that's been going on in my heart, I have not been able to give myself 100% fully to what God has right here in Snyder, Texas. And so... Man, I realized that all of it was keeping me from, from fulfilling what God has called me to do here. And all of it had to do with fear, fear on the inside. You've heard me preach and say that, you know, when God, when God speaks to us today, when he, when he reveals himself to you, he will always do it in a way that you can't miss, right? And when God does that, when he reveals himself to you in a, in a new and unique way, it will always be for your good, and it will always be to give you exactly what your heart needs. And I'm so grateful because last weekend, I received exactly what my heart needed. You don't have to clap for that. I'm just saying it is. But, but, um, but, but I'm, I'm so grateful to you all, though, because you all made that available to me and gave me a place. So I'm able to say this morning that I can, I can stand here grateful because I get to stand here and preach this sermon from a heart that feels healed, man. That feels healed. But I do feel a little bit of pressure, though, because uh, people have been saying, man, what is Tim going to preach on coming off this walk? And I felt like the bar set like right up here. You know, what am I going to do? You know, if I don't hit a home run, man, it's going to be like, what? Whatever. But, um, but I'll tell you what we did on Monday. My wife and I, we, we, uh, we turned on some worship music in the living room, and we just lifted our hands, and we were praying. And, and as I was praying, and as we were worshiping God, it was almost like I could see this Sunday's sermon playing out. It was almost like I could hear the things that I was supposed to say. So I'm going to share that with what I saw and heard, and, and hopefully I, I, I get it right with what the Spirit was wanting. But I believe that the message I'm going to share with you this morning is from the Spirit, and I believe that it's going to touch somebody in this room this morning. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Take your Bibles. I want you to turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is significant for a lot of reasons. One, one reason is because in John chapter 13, this is where we see some of the most intimate teachings of Jesus. This is when he pulls his 12 disciples aside. This is where he has the Passover meal with his disciples. And, and he shares with them very intimate details about his coming death and things that they don't even understand yet. But he's giving them some, some really intimate teachings about what does a relationship with him look like? What does a relationship with Jesus look like? The story we're going to be looking at is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, this is a text that many of us know, right? How many of us know the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? I mean, that's like one of the most famous... Wow, not as famous... Y'all haven't heard this in West Texas, have you? Y'all haven't heard this story. Okay, all right, good deal. Um, but it's a story that most of us know really, really well, and we've heard it many times over the years. And typically, when we read this story, we see Jesus get up from the table, he washes his disciples' feet, and then what most of us do is we jump to the end of the passage and we make the point 
that since Jesus was the teacher and the Lord and since he washed his disciples' feet, then the takeaway then is that we should do what? Wash each other's feet, right? We should do the same thing. We should serve each other. So we focus typically on uh, verses 12 through 16. Let me go ahead and pull it up on the screen here. Um, It says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? And he asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So again, what we typically do is we say, we think, you know, here's the application for our lives. We say Jesus is the Son of God. He served. And since no servant is greater than his master, then that means that we need to serve others too. Again, that's the way we read the text, and that's fine. That's a great application. In fact, I I think that's one of the most applicable applications in the text right there. We are supposed to serve one another. But is that all that's in the text? Is there more here than meets the eye? I think there is. And and I think that, I mean, I don't know, but I think that, that not only is there more here going on in the text, I'm not even sure that... That's the main point that the Holy Spirit wants you to take away from what Jesus is doing. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to go through this text. I want us to read this story together. And I want you to pay very careful attention as we do. Not just listening to the words that Jesus says when he says these words to his disciples. But I want you to take very clear notice as to how the Holy Spirit shapes the story as you watch the things that Jesus does. Listen to what he says, but also watch what he does. Okay. Now, before we get into the text, I want to set this up for you because right before they go into the upper room where they have the Lord's Supper, the Bible tells us that the disciples get into an argument and they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. So you've got to have that in mind before you read this story. Now, this is something that apparently when you go back and you read the Gospels, this was an ongoing argument that these guys were having. Now, why is that? Because they have this understanding that the kingdom is about to be established right now. They have a very earthly right now understanding of this. And so they're thinking that as Jesus is about to, he just revealed himself as the Messiah when he came in a few days earlier. And now they're thinking, man, he's about to set up his kingdom. And you know what's going to happen next, right? He's going to be, uh, you know, having all the the seats of authority. He's going to be, you know, hiring all of his, his managers and so forth. And so they're jockeying for position. And, 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 and you could just imagine the conversation. You know, here, could you imagine the fishermen and the former zealot arguing about who's got better qualifications to be the vice president? You know, but they are. And they're arguing back and forth because they're saying, I'm better, I'm better. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. I deserve to sit at the right hand. No, I deserve to sit at the right hand. James and John, if you remember, uh, you know, the Jewish mama came at one point and tried to get that position because they believed that he was about to set that up. So there's a lot of frustration in the room. There's a lot of anger in the room. There's a lot of pride in the room. And then in chapter 13, verse 1, it begins, and it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come. 
for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, when it says his hour had come, that's a, that's a way of saying, it's like a figure of speech. If you read through the Gospels, especially John, over and over again, it says his hour had not yet come. Don't tell anybody who I am because my hour has not yet come. Remember the miracle in Cana, the very first miracle. He looks at his mom and he says, I can't do this right now. Why? Because my hour has not yet come. And then he does it anyway because he loves his mama so much. But here we come to the very end of the text and it says that his hour had come. The time of his crucifixion had arrived. The whole purpose of why Jesus had been born, the whole purpose of what he had lived his whole entire life for, for the last 33 years, had now come to fulfillment. And less than 24 hours from this moment when he says these words, he's going to be hanging on a cross. His hour had come. And then it says... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, that's like a parenthetical statement. That's John there. And John is saying this, you know, he's saying, look, I'm I'm remembering these things as I'm writing them down. And I remember, man, I remember what it was like that night. I remember when when we were all there and, and we didn't know it at the time, but Jesus was about to be crucified. And let me tell you something. He loved us. He loved us all the way to the very end because in less than 24 hours, he's going to be giving up his life. And instead of focusing on his life and worrying about his life, he's serving his disciples and showing them love. So he says, man, they, he loved us all the way to the very end. And then in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Now this is something that I think a lot of people miss in the text, but I think it's extremely important. But the Bible says that Jesus knew that He had put all things, uh, that God had put all things under His authority. Now remember, just a few chapters later, he's going to have a conversation with Pontius Pilate. Remember that? And Pontius Pilate is basically going to kind of flex his authority a little bit. He says, don't you know that I have the power to let you go? And do you remember what Jesus says back to him? Let me paraphrase Tim Brown, TBV. You don't really have any power. The only power that you have is the power that God gives you. You wouldn't be able to do anything to me. In fact, and he goes on to say, he says, you know, a little bit later on, the Bible tells us, you know that song we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels. Remember that song? You know why we sing that song? That song is inspired by what happens right after Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He goes into the the Garden of Gethsemane. The mob comes in to arrest him. Peter thinks he's going to be the knight in shining armor, pulls out a sword, hacks off a guy's ear. And what does Jesus say? Put it away, Peter. Don't you know? That if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels, 10,000 angels, and they would be here like that. Now, bring that back to the text here, because the question is not, what would we do with absolute power? I think you and I know fully well what we would do with absolute power. We have an old saying about that one, don't we? Absolute power does what? Corrupts, absolutely. But you know what Jesus does with absolute power? And he serves. He serves. Now, most of us have heard the reason why they washed feet in the first century. And for those of you who need kind of the, be brushed up on it, everybody wore sandals back then. And you walked everywhere you went. It's kind of like uh, Snyder, Texas. Every time you go outside, you get dirty. 
I was over at the boys last night. I got home. I said, man, I'm feeling sticky all over. It gets, it gets dirty. It's you know, dusty. I was blowing up all the time. But anytime you walk anywhere in the first century, imagine what it would be like, right? And by the way, most people didn't wear the sandals in the house, and most houses had dirt floors. So everybody walked around with pretty dirty feet. And so it was customary as a, as a way of showing hospitality. Every time you would walk into somebody's house, there would be a towel and a basin and some water there. And it was just something like, you know, kind of like what we do. What do we do? What did your mom always tell you before you eat? Go wash your hands. It's a daily thing that was expected. Now, who did the foot washing? Typically, it would be the person in the home with the lowest status. So if you had servants, it would be not just the servants, because remember, even in the first century, servants can have ranking as well. It would be the lowest of the low. It would be a child servant, typically a very young child type servant. So you can imagine then that nobody really liked the job. Nobody really cared for picking up dirty old feet and washing them. And, and remember, these 12 guys, these gentlemen, if you will, have come in and they've been arguing about which one of them is the greatest and which one of them deserved to have the best seat sitting next to the right hand or the left hand of the king, of the Messiah. And, and so because of that, when they walk into this room, nobody does it. Nobody does the customary thing. And you can imagine, we have this saying called, there was an elephant in the room, Right? We don't realize this, but there was an elephant in the room the entire time that Jesus was eating the Passover meal with his disciples. You know why? Because they didn't sit at tables like we do. They sat on these little, these little things, like these little pillows on the floor. And typically what you would do is you would lay on your right, or your left side rather, you would lay on your left side and you eat with your right hand. Well, guess what? You're always near somebody's feet. Ew. <laughs> right? So it's obvious. There's an elephant in the room, if you will. They all sit down, and there is very much even possibly a smell that they smell. And to me, the key turning point in the text, where you really get the reward, I think, from the Holy Spirit when you read this text, occurs in verses 4 through 11. Right in the middle of the story where Jesus has this conversation with Peter. I want you to read with me, and let's pick back up in the text, if you will, I'm going to put it up here on the screen behind me. Verse 4. Listen to the language. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. See, the shocking thing is not the washing of the feet, right? Again, this is something that was typical. People did this all the time. What's shocking here in the text is who's doing it. This is a lowly task. This is something that only the lowest of the low would do. If you remember at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, do you remember what John said to Jesus when he went down into water? He says, why are you baptizing me? And then he says this, I am not worthy to untie your shoes. See, that's what you would do right before you'd wash their feet. He says, are you kidding me? I'm not, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie your shoes to even wash your feet. 
Now bring that back to the text here because not only is Jesus stooping down and untying the shoes of all 12 of these guys, and by the way, Judas is still here. He's washing their feet. And that's shocking to them. And and, and here Jesus is doing all of this. and, And here's the problem. Any one of these guys would have lovingly, easily jumped up if Jesus had said, well, one of you wash your feet. All 12 of them would have said, I got it. But they weren't willing to wash each other's feet. And to me, there's a lesson there somewhere. We can't truly say that we love God if we don't actually love each other. In fact, the same author, John, who is writing these words that you and I are are reading right now, later on he writes another letter called 1 John. And here's what he says in in, uh, 1 John. Did I have it up there? Let's see. I may not have it up there. Here it is. John chapter 4, verse 20. Let me find that. Okay. There we go. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And by the way, did you notice the language? Go back and look at verse 4 one more time. Let's see if I get it right this time. Look at the language of verse 4. Did you notice? He got up from the meal. Stop right there. He's a rabbi. He's the teacher. He has the place of honor. He sits at the middle of the table, right? He is the one who has honor and position. But he stands up from that position and he takes off that garment of honor. And then he reaches down and he picks up a towel, which is the garment of a servant, and he wraps himself with the garment of a servant, laying aside his privileged clothing to take upon the clothing of a servant so that we can he can serve church do you have ears that hear this morning jesus in his final moments is reenacting a parable of his own ministry right before their very eyes Jesus rose from supper, a place of rest and comfort, as Jesus rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering, just as Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. Jesus took a towel and girded himself, being ready to do the work, just as Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to work. Jesus poured water into a basin, ready to clean, just as Jesus poured out his blood so that he could make you clean. And then Jesus, after that he sat down again John chapter 13 verse 12 after washing their feet just as Jesus sat down at the right hand of the father after he washed your soul amen I can't help but hear this this passage over in Philippians chapter 2 I can just hear Paul he says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The Greek there means, it means this, it wasn't something that he held on to tightly. When God said, I want you to go and I want you to die for my people, Jesus didn't say, I don't want to go because I love this too much. Jesus says, I love you so much, I'll do it. And he let it go. Verse 8. 
actually verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see what the Holy Spirit's doing there? Jesus is showing you. He was showing them a picture of his ministry. Now watch this. He comes up to Peter and he says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And what's Peter's first reaction? No. Are you kidding me? No, said Peter. You will never wash my feet. And this, by the way, I believe exposes something that Peter has in his heart. (laughs) Man. It was something God exposed in my heart this last weekend when I would not allow people to minister to me. And let me deal with some of the stuff I was dealing with. It exposed an issue of pride. See, this exposes this, this pride. And, and, and the thing is, we do the same thing. How often is it, man, we do something we know we should not do? Whatever it is, I don't care what it is, but we do something we should not do. And the first thing you do is you feel guilt, you feel shame. And instead of going to God, what do we do? We run away from God. We get this picture in our mind that God's angry at us. Well, I can't go to church, or I can't tell anybody, I can't talk to anybody. That's how I felt last year, man. Because after all, I'm a preacher, right? Preachers can't sin. I can always count on my boy over there. man. Guys, here's what's incredible. In this image here, Jesus is showing us, oh my goodness, watch this. Jesus is showing us He did not exchange his divineness for that of a servant. He demonstrated his divineness by being a servant. He showed us who he really is. He showed us what God is really like. He showed us that when you're struggling, when you're dealing with stuff, when you're feeling that shame and that guilt, do not let the shame and guilt keep you away from taking it to the Father. Let the shame and guilt be the very motivation for going to the Father. So Jesus answered, verse 8, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, I love this because Jesus did not say, if you don't have great holiness, you can have no part with me. He didn't say, if you don't become a great big Bible expert, you can have no part with me. Jesus just simply says, let me minister to you. If you will let me minister to you on a daily basis, then you'll have a part with me. He's not demanding anything from you. He's not asking you to prove anything to him. All he's doing is just getting you to get to a place where you're just allowing him to do his work in your life to receive that ministry. And I love Peter's heart here because Peter says, <laughs> he says, okay, if that's the case, then don't just wash my hands wash, or wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash the whole thing. 
If, if, if it's a matter of not having any part with you, give me a whole bath, Lord, because I can't face the alternative of not being with you. And I love what Jesus says, and we're going to wrap it up pretty close here. Jesus answered and he said, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. The whole body is clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that he was going to, for he knew who was going to betray him and that that was why he said that not everyone was clean. He's talking about Judas, right? But notice what he says to the other disciples. Notice what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying you need a whole bath. You've already had that. I'm saying that your feet are dirty and there's something inside of you that needs to be cleansed. In other words, the principle that Jesus is teaching here, I think, is really simple. When you and I became Christians, we got a bath, didn't we? Several of you were baptized right back here. Right? You received a washing from the Lord. The Bible says that you were forgiven of all of your sins. The Bible says that because of that, the Holy Spirit was placed inside of you. He took up residence in your life. He's called the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's the Spirit of holiness. He's there to create holiness inside of you. That does not happen automatically. That does happen over time as you learn to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ by letting Him minister to you on a daily basis. So what does the dirty feet mean? The dirty feet simply means this. As you walk in newness of life, sometimes your feet take you to places that get them a little dirty, don't they? I'm preaching this morning. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes our feet can take us to places where we start feeling dirty. We do things. We start feeling shame. We start feeling guilt. And it's just like your feet getting dirty. And what Jesus is saying here is that we're saved, but we still mess up. And the beauty of what he's saying here is that if we have been saved by him, we are clean in God's eyes. We've been made righteous by the blood of the lamb. But as we walk and as we start feeling guilt and shame because of things that we deal with, we do not hide. We don't keep it in. We are honest. And we take it to Jesus Christ. I heard it said one time, we need to always make sure that we keep short accounts with Jesus. I try to live by that rule. I didn't last year, man. I got caught up again. And that shame and guilt just piled on. But when I'm walking rightly with the Lord, the way I am now, the moment you do something that your spirit inside of you says, that is not according to God's will. Repent right then and there. Even as you're walking down the road, something. I heard a story one time about Charles Spurgeon. You know the old preacher Spurgeon. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't care. It's a good story. But um, <laughs> preachers don't care, man. If as long as it's a good story. But the story was is that this guy was following old Charles Spurgeon in the road, and he literally got to the middle of the road and stopped. And he just kind of stood there for a minute, and then he kept walking. And then the young man walked up behind him and says, "What in the world did you stop?" He goes, "Well." I was walking along and he said, the spirit revealed to me something I had said to somebody in a wrong way. And I I think I probably hurt that person's heart. He says, man, I had to take that to the Lord right then and there. That's how we need to be. Hearts that are sensitive to the Lord. You want to know one of the reasons why it's so important for you to walk around with no guilt and shame in your heart? With a heart that's been cleansed by Jesus? It's because when your heart is healthy and well when you've allowed Jesus to wash your feet on a daily basis, when your heart is clean and you feel that peace that surpasses understanding, that will then give you the spiritual provision that you need and the confidence that you need on the inside to not cower away in shame and fear, but to step up in love and to show love and agape toward other people. 
If you're walking around with, with shame right now, how's it affecting your life? How's it affecting your marriage? How's it affecting your kids, man? You shrink back because you feel like you're not worth it. You have to let it go if you want to move forward with him. So there's so many ways that we can wash people's feet. We can engage in random acts of kindness. We can leave flowers on a friend's doorstep. We can call somebody and just check in and see how they're doing. We can pull them aside and share some words of encouragement or affection. We can pray for them. We can uh, make amends for something that we've done in our past. We can forgive somebody for something they've done in the past and let it go. We can stand up for those who are unable to stand up for themselves. We can support someone despite if they agree with our choices or not. We can lend a listening ear to somebody who's going through tough times. We can bring a new person to church. There's all kinds of things that we can do to show love. But for this morning, I want to do something for you. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation, and I'm going to ask the elders, if you would, to go ahead and stand up, and uh, elders-wise, if you want to just kind of go off to the side, and in a moment, we're going to have an invitation song, again, just like we always do. Um, But God put this on my heart, and um, is Chris here? Okay. God put this on my heart, and um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says this. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So over here, I've got got some some towels and some bowls. And listen, this is not not like a new ceremony or anything like that. But you know what, though? Jesus gave us this picture because this picture is trying to teach us something important. So as as Luke leads this song and as we do this invitation, here's what I want you to do. I want to offer to you the same thing that was offered to me last weekend. And that's an opportunity to have your feet washed. Not your physical feet, but the stuff that's going on right here. And maybe... You know, sometimes it's good to pray. And, and, and every single one of these folks will pray for you this morning. But sometimes you need to feel the love of Jesus. And if I can allow myself to be the hands of Jesus this morning, just know that if you come up and you let me wash your feet, receive his healing and his forgiveness. Come forward as we stand and sing.
couldn't see it. There was Jesus on the mountain in the valleys. There was Jesus in the shadows of the alleys. There was Jesus in the fire in the flood. There was Jesus always in In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been, where I'm going Even when I didn't know it I couldn't see it There was Jesus
fun. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb. So one last thing before we go. When Jesus got through washing his disciples' feet, if you notice, the Bible says that he did not keep the towel on that he had been wearing. And so when he stood up from washing their feet, and when he looked at the towel, you would have seen all the dirt 